Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 453. Welcome in. I hope you enjoyed this weekend. I certainly did. Um, my goodness. First of all, I, I really love the division around last weekend was amazing. And I'm like, well, look, we're going to be lucky if we get two really good, really close, interesting games. That's exactly what we got. I'm so grateful. Uh, the Super Bowl is laid out. It will be the Rams against the Bengals. We will get into that in a moment. I'll share my thoughts before the Super Bowl. Predictions are, we'll do that. We got two weeks now between now and the Super Bowl. It'll be quite a while. Um, there is one thing between now and the Super Bowl that's interesting. I never, ever thought I would say this. I, I love Formula One. I love racing, but I'm not a NASCAR guy at all. However, there is a NASCAR race at the Coliseum in L.A., and I'm like, what does that even look like? So I'm going to definitely watch that. I don't know if it'll even turn into content here, but I am. It's like the only thing between now and then that I'm really excited for. It'll be a lot of predictions versus reality between now and the Super Bowl. Let's jump in, though. In the NFC Championship game, the Rams beat the 49ers 22-17. And uh, first of all, congrats to the Rams. Matthew Stafford going to his first ever Super Bowl. It's amazing. Uh, I thought the pressure was on the Rams heavily in this football game. They made a lot of moves. They traded for Matthew Stafford, Sony Michelle, Vaughn Miller, signed OBJ. Like, this is a game. If the Rams had lost this game, it would have been the most tragic, horrible loss in the history of their organization. You know, to miss out on a chance to play a Super Bowl at home would have been crazy. So I'm actually really glad they won. I thought the 49ers would win. Uh, now here, I'm going to come out and say the thing that I think a lot of people in the Bay Area are thinking and 49ers fans are thinking, and it's uncomfortable. It's unfortunate. Uh, let me let me first of all say I like Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo is charismatic. Uh, his team likes him. He's a good team. Like I have nothing bad to say about Jimmy Garoppolo as a person. But here's what I need to say. Having a limited quarterback finally caught up to the 49ers. And that's sad but true. Uh, the 49ers actually had the lead to start the fourth quarter. I was like, hey, they're in the driver's seat. Oh, my goodness. It's a huge opportunity. And in the 49ers' three fourth quarter drives, they had a punt, a punt, and an interception. The three and out, the middle one, the second punt was a horrible, awful possession. Uh, you know, they got called for delay a game. Just ugly, ugly possession all around. And I ask you, which one is not like the others? Remember that game where you're like, oh, you name a bunch of stuff? I'm going to name four quarterbacks. Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Which one is not like the others, right? It's pretty clear the 49ers are a really, really good football team. A great defensive line, playing good in the back end of the defense. Really, you know, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Elijah Mitchell, they're running the ball well, good offensive line. And yet, they're missing the elite quarterback they really need. I thought Tennessee was the same story. Tennessee and the 49ers are two teams that really, um, they had very, very limited quarterbacks during their playoff runs, and the quarterback held them back. And when the 49ers had the ball down three points, minute 46 seconds left, can you imagine if they had Tom Brady instead of Jimmy Garoppolo? I I think the only place that Tom Brady could go, did he retire? Did he not? I, I really hate the fact that people are pretending like a rumor is news because we don't, until Tom Brady says he's retiring, I don't believe he's retiring. Uh, and I think the place he's going to consider, I would make a phone call. Hey, Kyle Shanahan. Hey, John Lynch. You want a quarterback that can help you win a Super Bowl instead of throwing screen passes and one deep ball to Brandon Ayuk the entire game? 
I think Tom Brady could be the answer for the 49ers. Tom Brady's either going to go to San Francisco or retire. I really believe that. And this game confirmed that, which is unfortunate. I don't hate Jimmy Garoppolo, but you need a really good quarterback to win a Super Bowl. And, I mean, especially, think about the league right now. Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Aaron Rodgers out there, Matthew Stafford playing really great. You can't win a Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo right now. And unfortunately, once again, we saw, hey, Jimmy G wins a lot of games. He's a very serviceable quarterback. He's fine. He's going to go somewhere and probably be a starter next year. But I think right now he's holding back the 49ers. And unless you're a team rebuilding and in transition, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't a guy for you because he can't ultimately get your team where they need to go in the playoffs. Now, in my mind, uh, first of all, again, Matthew Stafford, nothing but love. The Rams quarterback, um, dude, I... So happy for him, right? He spent 13 years, 13, 12, he spent year after year. He was drafted in 2009, year after year in Detroit with the Lions. And now here he is, one year away from Detroit in his first ever Super Bowl. And I just meant, like, how could it not be more clear that the Lions were holding back Matthew Stafford? Matthew Stafford is problematic. He's not a perfect quarterback by any means. But certainly he's showed to everyone, yeah, hey, it was never me. It was the team around me. And that's pretty cool. I'm very happy for him. He's vindicated forever, win or lose the Super Bowl. Um, I think he's shown that he's much better than his career in Detroit would lead you to believe. Now, he doesn't get off scot-free. Stafford had a great game, 31 for 45 passing, 337 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. Mwah! Amazing. However, mm, he should have had two interceptions. Anybody remember that throw in the fourth quarter? He throws the ball right at uh, Jaquiski Tart for the 49ers, and he drops the easiest interception of his life. And I said a lot all week, I said I was worried about Matthew Stafford throwing a late interception. That was the moment. Like, that's that's the ball. You got to catch it. You make that play. You got, you got the ball up 17 to 14, less than 10 minutes left in the game. And that was the moment, and the 49ers dropped the interception. But that ball was there, and I still I want people to remember, Stafford, about every game, throws one of those balls where you're like, Oh, no, what are you doing? And sometimes he gets lucky. Sometimes they drop it. But I'm, I, I just remember that. That could come back to bite them in the Super Bowl. I don't think so. I think the Super Bowls, it's more likely that the Rams win by like 17 points in the Super Bowl. I'll tell you why down the road. But uh, just hold on to that. If the 49ers, sorry, if the Rams allow Cincinnati to hang around in the Super Bowl, if it's still close in the fourth quarter, that really scares me. As a, If I'm a Rams fan, I'm like, ooh, I don't want Joe Burrow to have any hope. I want to win by 17 and crush him at the end. I don't want to allow Cincinnati to hang around in the fourth quarter. And I'm worried if they do. That ball, the Jaquiski tart that should have been caught, should have been an interception in the fourth quarter. I'm worried Stafford will make one of those kind of throws, and it could be costly. I'm just telling you, no one likes to hear that. People get very angry to talk about this side of Matthew Stafford, but it does exist. Sometimes defenses don't keep him honest, but it is out there. That moment happened. We can't deny it. The 49ers just didn't take advantage of it. Now, a lot of people deserve a shout-out after this football game. Debo Samuel, Odell Beckham Jr., gosh, Cooper Cup, Andrew Whitworth, Eric Weddle. It goes on and on and on. Uh, Debo Samuel is amazing. He's a He's not really a receiver. He's not really a running back. He's an athlete, and he's one of the first of— not the first, but definitely the most, you know, um, noteworthy guy that really can do whatever he wants on a football field. And it reminds me of high school football where they're like, hey, just get your best player of the ball. I don't care how it works. And we're seeing more and more of that in the NFL. 
Uh, Debo Samuel is the benchmark right now for a, a hybrid type athlete player who, you know, he ran the ball seven times for 26 yards. He also had four catches for 72 yards and a touchdown. That's 98 yards of total offense. Um, nothing but respect for Debo Samuel. He had an amazing year running and receiving. He had a long screen pass for a touchdown, 44 yards. He had another screen on second and 11 where, my gosh, it was just power running. He ran right through a linebacker for a first down, and you're like, that guy is not really a receiver. Like, he, he's built like a running back, but he can catch. He can do everything. And um, it actually kind of remi- makes me think of Christian McCaffrey. I want to see a guy like Christian McCaffrey in the NFL put in the slot at receiver a lot more. Like, we know Christian McCaffrey is a guy who's very talented as a receiver. He keeps getting hurt. Maybe let's stop putting him in the backfield and less and less do that. I mean, I, I want to see someone use Christian McCaffrey a different way, a lot more like Debo Samuel, where it's less him in the backfield and a lot more him out wide and occasionally in the backfield. I think that could really transform the career and the health status of Christian McCaffrey. Now, one problem is that the 49ers did not throw the ball very well downfield. They had like one good ball down the left sideline to Brandon Ayuk. That's a great throw. It could have been a touchdown. Uh, and Jimmy G is not horrible. Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, not an awful quarterback. I, I want to be clear on that. I, I'm going to come down on him and say, like, he's limited because he is. He's holding them back. But he's certainly not awful. I think he can go start a lot of other places around the NFL next year and probably will and be very fine, win some games. He wins a lot of football games. I just don't think Jimmy Garoppolo can get you all the way. And we saw that in the playoffs. I mean, that. I don't know that other 49ers fans, I'm not a 49er fan, but I, I'm sure a lot of 49er fans were sitting there worried that this day would come where finally the limited quarterback would catch up to them. It did here. You know, they threw a lot of screen passes. They need to do a lot more throwing downfield and be more successful at that. There's a key throw early in the game to George Kittle. He's wide open over the middle. Jimmy Garoppolo missed him. That's a painful, painful miss. But uh, my gosh, you know who deserves a shout out? is Odell Beckham Jr. Headed to his first ever Super Bowl. He had nine catches for 113 yards. Very cool. Excited for him. You know, he wanted out of Cleveland, and it's it's actually worked out pretty well for him. It's very cool to see him, you know, getting what he wanted in life, going to live in L.A., playing for a good football team, headed to his Super Bowl, making key plays in crucial moments. Great for Odell. You may not like how he got there, but it's certainly a success story in his perspective. Uh, Cooper Cup, the Eastern Washington star, 11 catches, 142 yards, two touchdowns. What a ridiculous year and game he had here. And then, you know who deserves, there's two more Rams I think really deserve a shout out here. Eric Weddle, the Rams safety. He was retired until a few weeks ago. Came out of retirement after two years watching football. He came back and he just led the Rams in tackles in the NFC championship game. Nine tackles in a game after, again, two years retired. It's unbelievable. I mean, clearly he was trading and keeping up with his shape and everything, but how cool is that to Eric Weddle? Might, you know, kind of last minute like a mercenary come in, win a Super Bowl at the Rams. Awesome opportunity for him. I'm very happy. And then, of course, Matthew Stafford going to his first ever Super Bowl. Um, this is why Matthew Stafford came to L.A. Matthew Stafford came here to L.A. wanting to win a Super Bowl here, meaning L.A. I don't live in L.A. Um but you know who I'm, I'm really most happy for? The talk is going to be all about Matthew Stafford coming from Detroit. What about the guy who is in year five of a conquest to win a Super Bowl? Andrew Whitworth, the left tackle of the L.A. Rams, came from actually Cincinnati. Spent nine years in Cincinnati. Never won a playoff game. It was abysmal. He, he wanted more. He came to L.A. looking for a better life. 
wanting to win a Super Bowl, wanting to win playoff games. They almost did to Jared Goff. They couldn't win that Super Bowl. They lost to the Patriots. Here he is, Andrew Whitworth, at 40 years old, playing left tackle, a position that demands a crazy amount of physicality. Left tackle. You think Tom Brady's impressive playing quarterback at 44 years old? Tom Brady doesn't get a hit. Andrew Whitworth is 40 years old at left tackle, taking on Nick Bosa. Are you kidding me? It's amazing what he's done. And the fact that he's here at not only getting to play for a Super Bowl at 40 years old, trying to win one before he retires, he gets to do it. He gets to play in this Super Bowl against his former team, the Cincinnati Bengals. And look, if he'd had to stay in Cincinnati and wait for Joe Burrow to come and lead them to a Super Bowl, I don't think Andrew Whitworth would have made it. You can't hang on to hope that long. He came to L.A. in search of a better life, in search of winning Super Bowls, and here he is about to maybe win one before he retires. And Andrew Whitworth is a story. No one talks about the offensive lineman. No one talks about the left tackle. But how cool is that, that after five years, his mission to L.A., trying to win a Super Bowl in L.A., it might finally come to pass. And again, the Rams are about to play a home Super Bowl in two weeks, and that is absolutely ridiculous. All right, the AFC Championship game. In the AFC Championship game, the Bengals beat Kansas City 27-24 to in overtime. Um, like, here's the headline. It has to be this. Joe Burrow in 2020 was the number one overall pick. And now here in year two, he has led his team to a Super Bowl. Two years ago, he was beating Clemson in a national championship game. Here he is now headed to a Super Bowl. It's unbelievable. It really is unfathomable that he is here doing this in this moment. Um, it's a whole team win. Like, shout out to the organization. They built a good team around him. But it, there is no doubt at all. The Bengals would not be here without Joe Burrow, and it's just incredible. I really, really love what's gone on, the story. I've got a lot more to say about it, uh, but before we say any more about that, let's talk about, I think the reason why Kansas City lost this football game is their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, and it's easy to point fingers at the quarterback. Um, we're going to do that here, but a lot of people I've seen are critical of the play calling, Eric Bieniemy. they didn't run the ball enough. I mean, remember... Kansas City ran the ball for like 139 yards, something like that. I mean, they, they, I think that's exactly what it was. And the reality is that you live or die with your superstar quarterback. Like, I, I don't think Kansas City should have any regrets putting the game on the shoulders of their quarterback, Patrick Mahomes. The problem is he made a lot of bad decisions at the end of regulation, at the end of the second half. Um, and, I mean, for example, you know, they're on the goal line with zero timeouts, nine seconds left before halftime. He throws a ball out wide to Tyreek Hill in the flat rather than throwing the ball to the end zone. Tyreek Hill gets tackled short of the end zone. Time expires halftime. They don't get any points before halftime. That's, that's on the quarterback. You can't throw the ball there. That's a bad decision. The ball has to go to the end zone or out the back of the end zone, and you got to leave time on the clock for a field goal. He didn't do either of that. And he was even, you know, Patrick Mahomes is trying to take a timeout when they didn't have any. He didn't know the situation. That's a massive problem. End of the fourth quarter. Kansas City had the ball first and goal on the five-yard line. Patrick Mahomes took two bad sacks in a row. Led to fourth and goal from the 26-yard. They made an easy field goal into a 44-yard field goal. Luckily, they made that and did tie the game. But, I mean, third and three, third and six, multiple times, Patrick Mahomes is holding on to the ball way too long, you know, forever, and taking sacks. And that's, that's bad quarterback play. And I praise Patrick all year. Uh, you know, probably from week... Six or seven on, when he started turning a corner. And 
I thought Patrick Mahomes really made a massive, massive improvement this year where he started taking what the defense gave him. He wasn't forcing it, wasn't holding on the ball too long, taking checkdowns. And early in the game, he has a checkdown in this game where he swings it out wide to his, his swing route. And I'm like, okay, here we are. It's Patrick Mahomes. Something happened to him in this football game. I don't know what it is, but there was a moment where he stopped taking the checkdown. He stopped being patient. He held on to the ball too long. He forced the ball into coverage. He's making bad decisions left and right. And I, I don't know why he regressed in this football game, but he did. And, you know, the loss is on Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion. You live or die with your franchise quarterback, your superstar, your MVP. Um, and for whatever reason, like, he was just making bad decisions left and right. And I don't think you have any regrets on that, right? Like, when you have a superstar quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, you want to have the game in his hands. But... He did not deliver in that moment. And that's cliche to say, but go watch the film. It's over and over and over again. You're like, dude, get the ball out of your hands. Don't take that sack. Don't force that throw into coverage. And that's what happened from what I saw on Sunday. Uh, I got a ton of respect for the Bengals' defensive end, Trey Hendrickson. Uh, You know, Sam Hubbard actually had two sacks in the second half. Great for him. But Trey Hendrickson got obliterated in the first half by... Kansas City's left tackle, Orlando Brown. I mean, Trey Hendrickson in the first half was on his back multiple times. I think the word is pancake. Getting pancaked on his back where Orlando Brown is laying on his chest. And the fact that he kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And finally, in the second half, he broke through. He got one and a half sacks in the second half. And Trey Hendrickson is a guy who just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And eventually, I mean, I I was fixated in the first half on this matchup, Orlando Brown versus Trey Hendrickson. And he was getting, pardon my friends, he was getting his ass kicked over and over again and gosh it was cool to see Trey Hendrickson really get going in the second half and just keep fighting and eventually breaking through and eventually you know chasing down Patrick Holmes getting that hard-earned sack and a half um I haven't even mentioned the fact that Kansas City was actually up 18 points they were up 21 to 3 and Cincinnati came back and won this football game you know they had 21 unanswered points took a 24 to 21 lead and this is a full team effort, right? The offense, 21 unanswered points, that's great. But the defense did not allow Kansas City to score. They give up three touchdowns in the first half. And in the second half, they did not allow Kansas City to score until the final moment when they kicked the you know, game-tying field goal, make it 24-24, and send it to overtime. To shut down Kansas City for that long, a quarter and most, you know, all the third quarter, most of the fourth quarter, Unbelievable. That's really good defense. That's impressive to me. Uh, You know, the Bengals won in overtime. By the way, Casey got the ball first in overtime. And Cincinnati's defense stopped Kansas City. Got it, you know, had one that should have been picked off by Eli Apple. Later got one picked off by, he got tipped and picked off by Bell. I mean, gosh, that's a defensive performance. And the defense in Kansas City, or in in Cincinnati, excuse me. We're going to talk a lot about Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is amazing, deserves a ton of praise, but you got to be clear on one thing too. I guess two things really. This team has a ton of confidence. The Bengals have nothing to lose. They don't feel like they, they shouldn't be here really. And so they're like, they're playing with house money. They're just happy, carefree, balls to the wall, nothing to lose. So the confidence is at an all time high for this football team. But on top of that, this defense is playing very, very well. And you got to give, you know, Kate Blackburn, Duke Tobin, the people that built this football team and signed free agents and made moves and brought in players to build this defense. I mean, um, it's really, I have been very, very critical in the past of Cincinnati's front office. And this is a huge win for them. Not only going to a Super Bowl, but the way they built this team and built a good defense is something that 
for a long time I didn't have confidence they could do. And here they are. They've done it. They've achieved that. And, you know, I, I, my message to the Rams in the Super Bowl is that you just cannot allow Cincinnati to hang around. If you allow them to keep it close in the fourth quarter, are you telling me you are not afraid of Joe Burrow in a three-point game or a tie game in the fourth quarter? Because I would be if I was a Rams fan. And, you know, I love Joe. The, Joe Burrow is a great leader. He's got a ton of swagger. He had this cool moment post-game where, you know, I, I think Diana Rossini's her name was trying to – I probably got the name wrong. I think, I think it's who it was, but someone you – know, whoever the post-game interviewer was trying to interview Joe Burrow. And Joe is not ignoring her rudely, but definitely like I'm not going to – the interview is not as important to me right now as it is to congratulate my teammates and share this moment with my teammates. And he's like, look, I got to connect with my guys. So he's doing an interview kind of, but he's also like hugging people, celebrating, getting in answers to questions as often as he can. And uh, shout out to whoever interviewed him. She was very patient, which is I think exactly what that moment needed to allow Joe to celebrate and get a question out of him when you could. Um, and I, that's, that's good leadership in my mind. A, a quarterback, a young guy who is just, he's like a shepherd leading of a flock. I know that's kind of a religious refer, reference, I guess, but you know, when you're, you're the leader, it's your job to connect with everyone and build, have great people skills and build rapport with everyone. And that moment was about his teammates, not about him doing an interview. And that's very cool to see that from Joe Burrow. Um, I just I kept smiling and smiling and smiling watching that moment, watching him win, go to a Super Bowl. Blew my mind. It's amazing. Now, um, I do have a concern here, and I, I am being very, very overly cautious, right? But I'm sharing with you something now that could become a problem in like five years from now. So, look, I'm not saying it's a problem yet. I'm not even saying I'm seeing signs of a problem yet, although I will say like here, here's what I'm going to say. As you get more famous, it's really easy to buy into your own hype. And, and as someone who, I got a pretty good life. I, I live in Hawaii. I talk about sports for a living. It's easy to go, oh, yeah, I'm the shit. I'm awesome. And when you got people, I, you know, a comedian I love, like one of my favorite comedians, reached out to me on Instagram the other, you know, the other day. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, I love you. I'm a fan of you. And he followed me. That's crazy. And he's like, I love your podcast. And that blew my mind. And in those moments, it's really easy to buy into your own hype and think your own shit don't stink. Pardon my friends. I'm cussing a lot this episode. I don't mean to. That's I'm doing my best. Um, I think it's warranted here. And when you have a ton of success early on, it can really affect you. And you either – I've, I've had to work really hard. I'm like I'm trying to get more gracious and be even more kind than I've ever been. Right? I think it's working. But I think what happened to a guy like Aaron Rodgers – Aaron Rodgers, remember, won a Super Bowl early in his career – then he won, you know, three MVP awards. And I think the success and that went to his head. And he, he kind of built a massive ego. And Aaron isn't great on accountability. Aaron Rodgers loves to, hey, I'm awesome. You failed, not me. And as the legend of Joe Burrow is growing and rappers are reaching out to him, he's getting all this notoriety, all this fame. He's becoming, frankly, Joe Burrow's like a mythological figure. He's like, he's the next Tom Brady. It's, it's amazing. And I hope as the years go on, Joe Burrow has people in his corner. I'm, I'm sure it is. His family, his dad, and him are really close. But I hope he has people who help him keep his ego in check and remind him that, hey, man, just because you're on top of the world, you're amazing, doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. And I love that confidence Joe Burrow has. But he does walk that fine line between cocky and confident. And you got to be careful with that. And I... 
it works well right now. He uses confidence. I love the outfits. I love the chains. I love the cigars. I love I love everything about Joe Burrow. I really do. He's probably, now that Tom Brady looks like he's going to retire, I'm like, who's my new favorite quarterback in the NFL? Joe Stinkin' Burrow. He's awesome. And I worry, though, that in a few years, we saw Tom Brady talk about this in, in Man in the Arena, that there was a moment after his third Super Bowl where he had to kind of readjust his mindset and really, you know, take care of who he was and try to drown out the noise and focus on football and family and try to, and, and Tom Brady's talked about how his family really kept him grounded. I don't know what's going to be the grounding factor for Joe Burrow, but I know that it's tempting and easy to go all the attention. I'm the man. It's awesome. And I just, I'm really hoping Joe Burrow in like five years from now hasn't taken that road and is still the guy who's celebrating with his teammates and not blaming anybody and the rallying leader that he needs to be. Um, I have confidence that he will be. I'm not worried about Joe Burrow necessarily, but I just, we're seeing the early signs of a guy who could turn the way of Aaron Rodgers, can go from confident to arrogant. And we'll see where he's at in five years from now. Um, I, I, I just don't think that it, he will be having this problem, but I want people to be aware of that now. Because we'll see where Joe's at in five years. He wins a Super Bowl, beats the Rams in year two. Since I mean, dude, how more on top of the world could you be? And I just know that he's not that young, but it's still, that's a big moment for a young guy. And I, I really hope that he keeps his ego in check as the years go on. Because he's going to succeed and succeed and succeed. And I, he's so impressive. And so I just am putting that tendril out there now. Now, one thing I want to praise Joe Burrow on is that I have never seen a guy handle a messy pocket better than Joe Burrow. People talk about Tom Brady, and Tom Brady was a legend for years of sliding in the pocket, being very calm. But Tom Brady would slide from maybe a free rusher, step up, and then be in a, a, a good pocket again. Joe Burrow hasn't really been in a clean pocket during the entire playoff run for Cincinnati. He's had bodies around him. He's been dodging defenders and throwing the ball as he's getting hit or as a guy takes out his ankles or whatever. I mean, there's bodies around his feet constantly. And it's been no problem to Joe Burrow. Again, I've never seen a guy who handles a messy pocket as well as Joe Burrow has. And there, there's a play where he escaped a sack not once but twice from Chris Jones where he, he like dodged the sack. Then, you know, Chris Jones dove for his legs. He kind of hurdles and gets away from that. It's, it's like it's unbelievable what he's doing. It's almost like Joe Burrow has slowed down time and is like, where's he going? Oop, oop. It's like the movie Click with Adam Sandler. It's unbelievable. And on top of being great at handling pressure, whether it's, you know, bodies around him, he also is really good at recognizing a blitz and seeing, okay, they're bringing more defenders here. My best matchup is T. Higgins 101 to my left or right or whatever it is. He's great at the line of scrimmage, at changing protections. There's a couple plays against Kansas City where he made a change at the line, handled a blitz, stayed alive in the pocket, threw a huge ball downfield. And you're like, that's just not only great awareness and good pocket presence, but also him being really dialed in at the line of scrimmage, understanding protections, understanding where to move you know, the protection and how to pick up a blitz. It's crazy to me. And... I remember when people said that, you know, Trevor Lawrence was the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck. And I, when people said that, you know, this time last year during the, the draft cycle, I remember saying, uh, what about Joe Burrow? Joe Burrow destroyed the SEC in college football. He <laughs> dominated Alabama, won a national championship, won a Heisman. Now he's in a Super Bowl. To me, Joe Burrow is the best quarterback prospect I've ever seen. And the stuff he was doing against teams in the college football playoff his senior year. I mean, 
it's better than anything Trevor Lawrence did in college, in my opinion. And I want to really give credit to the transformation because two of the craziest transformations I've ever, ever seen in my life. You know, Chris Pratt going from the fat guy in Parks and Rec to this movie star has been an incredible, unforeseen change. How many people are the Chris Pratt character in a TV show and then they never go anywhere, never do anything? Credit to him. It's a huge transformation. And then the transformation Joe Burrow has made from year one at LSU where Joe Burrow was probably, after his first year at LSU in college, was basically going to be a sixth-round pick. Like, he was not highly regarded by the NFL at all, and deservedly so. And then he worked his tail off and made a lot of changes and got better and better and better and became the guy we're seeing today. The confident, incredibly talented, very accurate, very cerebral quarterback he is today and the work Joe Burrow put in is something no one can ever take away from him. I, I, I know we look at him as a legend now, but don't forget where the guy started. Nebraska wouldn't take him. He wanted to go to Nebraska at a, at a high school. It's where his whole family played college football. They didn't want him. And Ohio State said, we're going to go with Dwayne Haskins. He got hurt, sure, but Ohio State chose Dwayne Haskins over Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow had to transfer out of his college to go get playing time. And, again, Nebraska didn't want him a second time. They said, we're going to stick with Adrian Martinez. We think Adrian Martinez is better than Joe Burrow. And so Joe Burrow goes to LSU and just goes through this crazy transformation. And where he started to where he is now is unbelievable. And the work ethic and the stuff Joe Burrow has done to get where he is is unbelievable. And I really want people to appreciate that journey and the work he's done because it's amazing to me. Okay, uh, there are two funny moments I want to talk about from the Kansas City-Cincinnati game. The halftime show was terrible. The broadcasters were getting drowned out by some kind of country concert going on right behind them. And it's like, I, you could see Boomer Esiason was trying to keep it together. But he's like, he was the only guy that kind of broke on screen. He's like, what are we doing here? Like, why are we even trying this right now? Would we, I can't hear the guy next to me because there's this crazy concert and the speaker's literally right behind him. That was hilarious and funny to me. Um, kind of a blunder for a, a TV moment. Uh, and then there was a moment where Tony Roma made a very small joke that went over everybody's head, I thought. Um, certainly Jim Nance didn't pick it up. Tony Romo was talking about how at the end of a game, you don't want to take too much time because sometimes people might drop a key snap on maybe a field goal. And nobody, nobody laughed at that. Nobody seemed to get it. But I'm like, do you hear Tony Romo? He's roasting himself. For the day where, you know, in the Cowboys-Seattle playoff game years ago, Tony Romo dropped a, a key crucial snap on what would have been, you know, an important, I think it was actually an extra point or field goal, I don't remember. Uh, it's been so long now. But he dropped this massive snap that cost him the game, and I really thought that was kind of a funny throwaway line from Tony Romo that nobody, nobody picked up on. And I'm like, man, dude, he's a slinging joke after joke, and people just aren't picking up on it, and... uh I really – I thought that was a funny moment from Tony Romo. So uh, congrats to Cincinnati and no, no shade against the four, against Kansas City. I thought they had an amazing year. I, I'm i really, really sad because I think that the trio they have, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, and Patrick Mahomes, is incredible. I don't know how many more years we have with them. And you know, they both, Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, had a couple drops in this game. I thought that – uh, this was not their best game together as a trio. And I, 
You know, I just I, I encourage everyone, every time you get an opportunity to watch those three play together, you never know what the future holds. We don't know how much longer they have, how many more years they have together. And uh, I just when I watch them, I marvel at what they could do together. And I I encourage everyone to appreciate those three guys, because what they do in Kansas City is incredible. By the way, Travis Kelsey played football at Cincinnati. I think he's actually from Cincinnati, Ohio. And so to see him um, lose in an AFC championship game to the team he grew up rooting for, the Bengals. I don't know if he was a Bengals fan or not, but I know he's been, you know, a lot of ties to that area. So kind of crazy for him. And, uh, you know, Zach Taylor now is going to a Super Bowl to play against the coach. You know, Zach Taylor was Sean McVay's quarterback coach in L.A. for the Rams. Now he's playing against his former head coach. And that's kind of another cool little matchup here. I am very, very excited to see Cincinnati go to a Super Bowl. Super Burrow. It's going to be awesome. And uh, I'm just, I can't even believe they're here. It's an amazing, amazing turn of events. And I'm so excited to see what happens. All right. um, I want to share some early thoughts about the Super Bowl. Let's be clear about one thing. I expect the L.A. Rams to win this football game. It's hard to count out Joe Burrow entirely. Uh, It's improbable that he wins, but not impossible. Let's be clear about that. Like, Cincinnati has a chance, and I would be terrified if, man, if you're an L.A. Rams fan and the Bengals are allowed to hang around in the second half, and if it's a close game in the fourth quarter, oh, boy, I would not feel good if I was a Rams fan. And I will be rooting openly for the Bengals. I, I hope that Joe Burrow and Cincinnati wins this football game. No offense, L.A. Rams fans, but I, I'm all aboard the Joe Burrow hype train and what's going on in Cincinnati to go from worst football team in the NFL two years ago to, you know, here in a Super Bowl. Unbelievable. I love that. I'm rooting for them openly. I do not have a lot of confidence, though, that they will win this football game. Uh, my big concern is that the Rams' defensive line is unbelievable. And we've seen teams throughout the playoffs get a ton of pressure on Joe Burrow with just a four-man rush. And this is the best four-man rush that Cincinnati is going to play in the entire postseason with Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller. It's horrifying. And I, I, just, I just see images and visions of Aaron Donald sacking Joe Burrow over and over and over again. I don't like that vision, but that really is kind of what I see happening here. And I'm afraid of that. I, I think that matchup... Aaron Donald and Von Miller against the Bengals' offensive line is a scary one. Another fun matchup is Bengals wide receiver Jamar Chase against Rams corner Jalen Ramsey. That's going to be awesome. That's a battle for the ages between them. And the pressure really is all on L.A. in this Super Bowl. They're playing a Super Bowl in their home stadium, and they're the team that went all in on this Super Bowl, more than any other team in the NFL. They traded for Matthew Stafford. They traded for Von Miller. They traded for Sony Michelle. They signed Odell Beckham Jr. They have no first-round picks for years. And it's a game that the Rams cannot afford to lose. Meanwhile, Cincinnati has nothing to lose. They're not even the team that was expected to be here. And if I'm a Rams fan, that confidence, that carefree nature, that would terrify me. If I was rooting for the Rams, because again, a Cincinnati team with nothing to lose, they have beat the expectations and beat the odds over and over and over again. And the Rams should be the favorite. They're the better team, in my opinion. But if the Rams allow Cincinnati to hang around, oh boy, 
They got a great kicker. They got a great quarterback. A lot of confidence. That would really scare me. I don't think it'll get there. I think that really, I see the Rams winning by like 17 points because I think that defensive line is going to have too much pressure and, and finally get home on Joe Burrow. And um, I know Joe Burrow won a game where he was sacked nine times, but that's against Ryan Tannehill, a quarterback who threw three interceptions and played really bad. Unless Matthew Stafford has a horrible game. I think the Rams win this football game uh, coming up in two weeks in the Super Bowl. I do have a fun thought, though. Uh, this is the second Super Bowl appearance in five years for Sean McVay. He is 36 years old. He was hired at 30, which is crazy. It's, a, uh, it's so cool, like the trajectory his career has had. Now, the opposing coach, the Bengals head coach, Zach Taylor, spells his name the right way. Z-A-C. That's the only way to spell Zach. That's my name. It's awesome. Um, Zach Taylor's 38 years old. These are two really young coaches. And by the way, Zach Taylor used to be the quarterback coach for the Rams in L.A. before he took the head coaching job in Cincinnati. And there's one other massive storyline here. Not only is it Matthew Stafford going to his first ever Super Bowl, but the storyline I think is that's not being talked about enough, in my opinion. I, I don't. I guess I don't really know what people are saying. I don't watch any other sports shows, but I, I know that Andrew Whitworth is a guy. Everyone talks about how Stafford came to L.A. to win a Super Bowl. No, Andrew Whitworth five years ago came to L.A. to win a Super Bowl. Andrew Whitworth is a left tackle for the L.A. Rams. He came from Cincinnati. He spent nine years in Cincinnati, underachieving, not winning, not happy. Came to L.A. for a good life, living in L.A., wanting to win a Super Bowl. They almost won one. They lost to the Patriots with Jared Goff. Now here, Andrew Whitworth at 40 years old, playing left tackle. People talk about how Tom Brady is unbelievable for playing quarterback at 44 years old. What about playing one of the most physical positions in the entire NFL? Andrew Whitworth was playing left tackle at 40. Blocking guys like Nick Bosa in the NFC Championship game. Unbelievable. And he has an opportunity to now win a Super Bowl at 40 years old and beat his former football team, the Cincinnati Bengals. And that, to me, is a massive storyline that cannot go underreported for the LA Rams. Andrew Whitworth, man, what a, what a career he's had. And how cool would it be for him to go out on top, beating his former team in a Super Bowl in his home stadium, in his home city, L.A.? That's, that's an amazing story right there. That's what I love. That's, that's what football's all about to me, these great storylines like that. OBJ in his first Super Bowl, Matthew Stafford in his first Super Bowl, but how cool would it be to see Andrew Whitworth win a Super Bowl in probably his final year in the NFL against his former football team? That. I love that. I want to read a message. I got a message from a guy named Ben on Instagram. It made me laugh. Uh, I thought it was worth reading. Ben says, um, Bengals are 100% losing the Super Bowl. Here is my justification. I've been to the U.S. three times to see a game live. The first time I went to see the Rams live, where they won, that season they made it to a Super Bowl, and they lost. The next year, I saw the 49ers live, where they won. That season they made it to the Super Bowl, and they lost. This year, I saw the Bengals live. They won. And now they're going to the Super Bowl. I believe that's a big enough sample size. <laughs> you can thank me later. So Ben believes, based on his theory, that you're coming from, I assume, Europe to America to watch now three football games in his life. He's watched a team win a game, then go on to the Super Bowl, and twice they've lost. Now it's his third time watching a team live in, in the U.S. Now they're going to a Super Bowl, and he thinks they're going to lose as well. 
I, I, I think you might be right, but I don't know that your reasoning makes any sense. I it's a crazy coincidence, so I love that, Ben. Thank you for writing in. Um, to end the show today, I'm going to shift to a topic. I think I was wearing the same shirt in the topic. I tried to kind of line it up, but I recorded this on Saturday morning. Uh, we're going to cut to a segment with me talking about the Giants hiring uh, their new head coach. So my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to go, uh, but the show will continue on with me, with past me talking from two days ago. Uh, until next time, though, I love you. Enjoy the rest of the show and have a great day. The New York Giants have hired Brian Dable to be their next head coach. And the really big thing here, uh, the reason it's exciting for the Giants is the same reason that it's alarming for Buffalo. Brian Dable is the guy who played the biggest role in developing Josh Allen, the quarterback in Buffalo, into an elite quarterback. Brian Dable was the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. It looks like, by the way, he will also be taking Ken Dorsey with him, who was the quarterback coach in Buffalo. And there's already so much to break down just from that. I don't think that Josh Allen is going to fall off a cliff when Brian Dable leaves or anything like that. But having a new play caller could slow him down a little bit next year, and there could be an adjustment period early on in the year as he gets used to a new offense with a new coordinator. He's amazing, though, and part of what he does really, really well is extend plays and do stuff outside of structure that, frankly, doesn't rely on play calling. Now, crediting Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey alone as the sole reason Josh Allen became an elite quarterback would be wrong, in my opinion. You know, for example, Josh Allen works with Jordan Palmer in the offseason, a great quarterback coach. Plus, you can't discount the work ethic and the stuff that Josh Allen did by himself. Like, Josh Allen's work ethic is incredible. A friend of mine played with him at college at Wyoming. He has story after story about – he was actually one of uh, Josh Allen's wide receivers, James Price. He always talks about how great Josh Allen's work ethic was and what kind of person he is. And you can't solely give credit to a coach and not acknowledge, hey, the work Josh did by himself plus the stuff he did in the offseason. I think it's a little bit problematic to solely credit a coach with a quarterback's success because you know for example uh joe brady who coached joe burrow at lsu got credited for developing joe burrow and then he failed as an offensive coordinator in carolina and he could not turn sam darnold into the franchise quarterback and really save his career so i don't really love giving all the credit to a coach uh and it, it does look like the giants are sticking with daniel jones as their quarterback uh, and look, by the way, getting Brian Dable and Ken Dorsey probably could be the best thing that ever happens to Daniel Jones. Getting them as his coaches, probably the best thing that will ever happen to him. But it is, let's be clear, not a 100% guarantee they can turn things around, make him into a franchise quarterback. Like, not every quarterback guru or coach can replicate their success with somebody else. Now, one thing I love about Daniel Jones, though, is that he has talent, right? The dude can run really well. He's got a good arm. I have an open mind here, um, and I, I really, I can't wait to see him play for Brian Dable. I think we're going to get that. So I'm hopeful, but not all in on the fact that it'll work. Um, now, the Giants do have two top 10 picks, the number five overall pick and the number seven overall pick. And if Daniel Jones is the quarterback and the guy for the Giants, they could use those picks to really build up their team. Uh, although I do hope they take a long hard look at the Liberty quarterback Malik Willis in the NFL draft because drafting him is at least worth considering given his unreal skill set, his ability to run, extend plays. He has a huge arm. He can, he can do certain stuff that other quarterbacks simply cannot do 
in the NFL draft. And him paired with Brian Dable's offense could actually be very similar to Josh Allen. And I love that idea of him developing Malik Willis. It's an idea, though. In all likelihood, Brian Dable will probably be expected to work solely with Daniel Jones. And kind of maybe the reason why they're hiring him even is because they want Daniel Jones to be their franchise quarterback. Um, so first of all, whether it's Daniel Jones or someone else, I have confidence that eventually good quarterback play will return to New York under Brian Dable. I just don't know that he can resurrect. I don't know that Daniel Jones is the guy. We'll see. He probably can resurrect his career and turn him into a franchise quarterback, but I'm not fully sold on that. It does raise an interesting question. Why did Brian Dable choose the Giants? You would assume, I would imagine, he had a lot of options given his past experience, the resume he put together at Alabama, then at Buffalo developing Josh Allen. I mean, he could have gone to Minnesota. They've got a ton of offensive weapons there. Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook. Like you would think, hey, an offensive coach would want to be there. The Raiders have Derek Carr. Maybe the Giants were his only option, but it does make me curious. Why choose to work with Daniel Jones at quarterback when you had, I would assume, other options out there? Now, A, one really big reason is that there was a connection. The Giants hired Joe Schoen to be their general manager. He was the assistant GM in Buffalo. I would assume Joe Schoen and Brian Dable had a relationship together up, you know, up in Buffalo. Also, remember, Brian Dable was born in Canada, near like 30 minutes away from Niagara Falls, so near the border of New York and Canada. And you can kind of say he's from the area. Not really, but it's a lot closer to go home, you know, wherever he, you know, visit family from New York than it is from Las Vegas or Minnesota. And maybe being close to family means something to him. Maybe he just likes the area. Maybe he's a Giants fan. You never know. This could be a dream job for him even. Um, I think the main thing I want to say here, though, is that I truly believe the Giants are lucky to have him. And it's a great hire. I really believe Brian Dable can produce high-level quarterback play in New York. I don't know who that quarterback's going to be. Probably Daniel Jones. Uh, but, man, I, I think Brian Dable was one of the most desirable coaches out there in the market. And I, I thought the Chicago Bears should have hired him, frankly. And so I am very, very excited to watch Brian Dable as a head coach in New York. And I've got a lot of confidence he is going to work. And uh, I just – man, I'm excited. I, I really think that the year the Giants had last year was a bad one. It wasn't a good one. But it really led to some really positive changes happening in New York. And oh, I'm so excited to see what happens under Brian Dable with the Giants and him as their new head coach. All right, guys, uh, that is all I have. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in and uh, have a great day. But um, bam, we are done.